Hi, everyone. Welcome to Agency Unfiltered, the HubSpot Solutions Partner Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Dunn, and Agency Unfiltered is a weekly web series and podcast that interviews the owners, founders, and executives of agencies and services providers from around the world about whatever it takes to grow and scale. This week, we have on Rod Moynihan, CEO of BAC, to share insights from his years of experience sitting on both sides of the SaaS partnership table. More specifically, Rod offers his perspective on what solutions partners need to be operationalizing to be ready to engage with corporate, enterprise, and upmarket buyers, and how they can earn the right to have a seat in those discussions. We discuss the importance of deeply understanding your customers, your domain, and industry, and how those things evolve from serving SMBs and mid-market organizations upwards to the upmarket. Rod also shares what partners looking to move upmarket should anticipate on changing from their service offerings, sales processes, and overall go-to-market strategy. We wrap with performance management and how success tends to be defined in upmarket engagements and how noticeable percentage shifts and efficiency gains can go a long way. If your organization is seeking to evolve your service offerings and make the move upmarket, this is an episode you won't want to miss. Let's dive in. Welcome to Agency Unfiltered. How are we doing? I'm very well, Kevin. It's great to finally sit down with you and talk about one of my uh, favorite topics. Or topics. Uh, I'm glad it's one of your favorites. Uh, I mean, by all the counts, a couple of weeks back, it sounded like it was maybe one of Yamini's. Uh, it's definitely something top of mind for a lot of partners, maybe as it should be. So hopefully anybody tuning in isn't tired of me talking about it all the time on this podcast. Um, but you know, before we get into it, I uh, always love talking to folks from across the world. I'm trying to wind my day down. You're trying to slam that coffee to get going. Uh, so, you know, the 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 differences in time zone are always an interesting piece. So anyways, appreciate you coming in first thing in the morning. No, it's uh, easy early. So I'm an early starter, so this is easy. So uh... that makes one of us. Yeah, that makes one of us. <laughs> so, uh, Rod, we're here to talk about uh, uh, upmarket businesses and from a solutions partner perspective, uh, putting the right, you know, processes in place, uh, thinking about the right service offerings, uh, putting together the right sales processes and, and just finding a way to cater to and deliver value for, right. Those upmarket businesses that, that HubSpot tends to talk about, uh, what you're here to talk about. Uh, but before we get into that, uh, why don't we just kind of contextualize it with this first, uh, uh, long time, you know, services provider yourself. Uh, talk us through kind of your journey that led you right to the HubSpot ecosystem, and and then maybe we'll we'll pick it up from there. Yeah, great. Uh, I, I actually think contextually that's a brilliant place to start, Kevin. So, um, I guess the first point I would make is that my journey into the HubSpot ecosystem was was actually not by chance. It was quite a deliberate strategy, um, and in many ways, it had been a journey that was made over twenty years to get here. Um, my background has traditionally been working in um, very, very complex business application and process and data data transformation programs, whether or not it was at SAP, where I led the big market team and the channel team in Australia and New Zealand, through to being the first head of enterprise sales at salesforce.com all the way back when it was still just a single cloud. 
we truly were trailblazing, taking on the mites of the on-prem world and other traditional products, all the way through to setting up and playing a very key role in the establishment of Accenture's, what they called micro-cloud business here in Australia, which was Workday, NetSuite and Salesforce, believe it or not. So as I kind of progressed through those journeys and started seeing the hybrid aspects of how SaaS companies built and scaled and moved through various elements of SME, mid-market and enterprise, and also then looking at how you assign a services business, which is vastly different to a traditional uh, services business that was non-SaaS, it became apparent to me that having left companies like Microsoft Dynamics and led that and led Salesforce, I hadn't seen another product in the market that had such challenging capabilities in over 15 years. So given the opportunity to step into a business that had some capability with enterprise-grade transformation, such as BAC, and retrofit that exclusively to HubSpot, was kind of where I've landed today. So to kind of steal a HubSpot saying, we are not cobbled, we are very much purpose-built with that experience and that dedicated focus on HubSpot. That's great. No, I appreciate the recap. Love the plug, right? Crafted, not cobbled. Uh, So let me ask you this. Uh, based on your experience, uh, what you've seen uh, as SaaS companies look to scale, right, from SMB targets to mid-market to enterprise, uh, as well as their, you know, ecosystem of services providers, uh, what should solutions partners uh, have in place to be, you know, upmarket ready or corporate and enterprise ready? Uh, how can they, uh, I think this was something you and I talked about the other day, but like, how can they earn the right or be an appropriate fit for entering the sales conversations with those types of businesses? Yeah, I think there's, um, there's three elements that I always think about when I think about the the transition for a partner. or, or And, and I'll, you'll probably hear me use the word um, service provider more than agency in this because I think a service provider aggregates some very, very different capabilities than, than perhaps the traditional aspect of an agency. Um, an agency tends to outsource, whereas a service provider tends to enable. No, it, it um, definitely sounds like the appropriate framing uh, yeah. as to where the ecosystem is today, where it's been for a while. So, yeah, 100%. So, so I think that's probably the first starting point for me in terms of considering how you architect your business to be an enabler versus an outsourcer. Now, there is components of outsourcing in there, don't get me wrong. But if I break down in terms of, firstly, what would be, in my mind, the, the elements that would make... An, an enterprise or a corporate organization different and therefore how do you prepare yourself for that? So I think the, there are two main aspects to an enterprise a company and whether or not it was selling very large ERP and delivering ERP programs all the way through to you know today's world with, with HubSpot. Um, and that is that your, your buyer kind of expects three things from you. I call it KYC, KYI and KYD. So KYC is know your customer and their role and the role they play and the roles. So there's usually multiple stakeholders. KYI is know your industry. So know their industry well and know how their industry works. And that gets in, I can get very deep into that. And the last one is KYD, which is know your domain. And when I talk domain, I talk things like CPQ. Uh, I talk things like sales automation. I talk things like um, uh, digital marketing attribution or omni-channel customer service and support. So be able to actually know domain, know industry, and therefore know the roles and the, the permeations of those roles within that. So once you kind of have KYI, KYC and KYD in place, 
you can actually then build a framework within your business to attach to that, the skill sets, the people, the engagement models, the engagement artifacts. But more importantly, you then start actually to start to profile where you fit and, and where you have expertise. And once you have that profile, you can then work very effectively with HubSpot or other partners, um, or you can you allow your partners and your customers to know where your 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 expertise is. You know, it's interesting. Love the love a good acronym. Uh, and so, from all three of those dimensions, right? Know your customer, industry, and domain. Uh, if I'm a solutions partner, uh, maybe a longtime agency in the ecosystem. You know, maybe I do have a firm grasp on what my domain is, what I'm, what I excel at. Uh, maybe I have a, an idea of the industries that that tend to, to you know, uh, be our best body of work, right? Maybe I've niched down to a vertical or something like that. Uh, is that sufficient, or is there an, is there a deeper, you know, level of niche that has to happen when when you you know move up market? Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think when we when we also then, particularly when we profile the KYC, so know your customer and the roles in that. The majority of our, the majority of corporate and enterprise buyers, and they are diverse and wide in any large enterprise, and you'll have to encounter them all to get any significant transformation uh, body of work agreed. What what is important to acknowledge is we don't sell to these people. Um, <clears throat> might sound counterintuitive. <clears throat> what we actually do is we reduce risk with them. And so, and we, we present an engagement model with those three KYCs, KYI, KYD, that ensures that what they see from you as they go through the process is they get uh, an uplift in intellectual process redesign that they didn't have before. And what I mean by that is how, how do I do it today and how do I do it better? Not just how will my technology enable it, but how does my process get improved? What does that look like in terms of measurable results? So how can I actually look at this in terms of productivity improvements, revenue improvements, cost out improvements? And the reason why this is so important is because these buyers have been through this journey multiple times. They're mature. They know what to look like and really kind of don't want to educate you on their business or educate you on how they work. They're actually leaning on you to get more than what they know today because that actually becomes where you become the safe pair of hands and that classic trusted advisor role. Once you're into that trusted advisor role, you then rinse and repeat that, <clears throat> excuse me, across other, other stakeholders. And that comes back to industry, domain, knowledge. So reading, reading yourself for that does actually just take time. It takes time to get to know those, you know, what's important when you're seeing a CFO and a COO and a CRO sitting in a room having a conversation. You know, each of those roles will have unique desires and outcomes they're trying to achieve. But how do you unify that in terms of a conversation that you can play a role in? Once you actually start becoming that trusted advisor and you can then build certain assets and artifacts around that uh, that can help bring that to life, help create realisation of that and build the journey. You know, it's um, it's an interesting um, framing. Hopefully I reflect it appropriately <laughs> back here. Uh but to your point, these types of businesses, they're not looking for somebody to come in and support an initial implementation of X, right? It's, oh, no, they've, they've uh, seen the movie play out. And the, the value add for partners at this stage is more so uh, improvements to existing processes on whatever's been previously implemented. So it, it feels smaller scale, but it's actually uh, uh, vastly more impactful for those companies that are at that level of maturity. Is that a fair reflection back? Yeah, it is. It is. And, and you know, often attaching yourself to that journey can be easier or harder depending on whether or not you've created the need. So i.e. 
HubSpot and having run like a few software companies when your your SDRs might find a small pain point somewhere and gets handed across to an AE or you get in there and you you might actually find you know the classic seed or the entrance point into into the enterprise where you might fix something tactically um, or you have a situation we have a we have an engagement down here right now in Australia for quite a high profile technology company global globally run out of Australia. Um, started with a small pain point around a Salesforce renewal uh, for the sales hub, looking to go to CPQ, um, the CPQ component within Salesforce from, an, from a, an effort and a cost perspective was going to be quite quite uh, significant. Um, we got in and we did a conversation. We ended up doing a whole application remediation review and a whole application um, decommissioning and consolidation program. <clears throat> Free of charge, we didn't charge for it. What we came back from that was a, a three-year uh, migration plan, um, an ROI, and t- TCO model. Now, that's that got surfaced to the board without us even knowing, and now we're in a whole holistic rip and replace program uh, of Waterwall, Salesforce, Marketo, you name it. So o- often, but you do need those assets and that intellect and the KYC, the KYI, and the KYD to be able to go and do that. Um just going back to the maturity piece, I, I think early on in the in the sales cycle, Kevin, if if I often say if you're going to talk to a banker, make sure you know what's important to a banker. Um, and, and you could make you could say that for any industry. I think your your preparatory uh, gathering of knowledge, and particularly in a down economy like we're playing in now, where we're seeing market influences drive uh, greater greater scrutiny of of capex spend greater scrutiny of how OPEX is being used at the moment, these sort of conversations actually start become, becoming very, very real in the in the enterprise and, again, at the boardroom or, or at the group executive level. So really, really, it's not just knowing the industry, but knowing the industry in the climate it's in today. I like that extra layer. It's not just, you know, depth of knowledge of the industry, but uh, uh, how it's operating in the climate today, what matters okay. most. I mean, other than sharing the terminology, the taxonomy, right? Uh, not everyone has leads, but, you know, they might have their version of X. Uh, other than just, you know, sharing that taxonomy, how, how else can you speak their language or, or what else should you be prepared to speak to, again, to to, to earn a seat in that conversation? Uh, look, I think um, as a as a as a service provider or the old world systems integrator um, world, there is a there is a kind of an initial belief that you're coming in with a level of expertise that that is a consulting business you're going to provide. I do think that um, your previous evidence of where you've done this becomes seriously important. Um, and I don't mean in terms like, so we often very rarely will talk about technology as a start state. Uh, we will talk about the process of how we took a, a, an organisation through transformation. Um, and we'll look at that in terms of three layers. So this is this is an area that I would encourage all partners if they want to go up market to think about. So one is process transformation, and that is I, I, I don't think you can earn the right to be in that conversation with, without understanding the three KYCs, KYIs, KYDs. But if you do have those, you earn the right for a process redesign conversation and, and the right to get in there and, 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 and redevelop thinking around that. The next layer on that one there is the data value journey. So if I can redesign process, how do I execute the movement of data in that process that enriches either um, 
a collegiate interaction internally between stakeholders or multiple or collegiate interaction between your brand your and your employee and your customer. Um, so that's the second layer. The third one, which is really important in, in the enterprise is the stakeholder and cultural change management piece. So how do we help people align to driving change into a business and which then eventually from a te- first time I'll use the word technology will drive technology adoption, which is seriously important for SaaS vendors, right? To avoid churn and contraction. Um, and I think there is a last layer in here, which is is the 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 always on optimization engagement. So so how as an organization do you fuel and invest in internal capability or or external capability to always drive always on transformation with your investment? Love the bonus uh, element there. You teed up three and then there's the one, but it's not so much a phase as it's it's always on to your point, that yeah. optimization piece. But yeah. process transformation and or redesign, the data value journey, how does data migrate through and then stakeholder and change management. Uh, well, let me ask you this, is the appropriate stepping stone, right? Because you mentioned at this stage in these types of conversations, having the proof, right? The assets, being able to citably demonstrate and show the intellect. Uh, should you be looking to offer or partners should be looking to offer this type of engagement and doing this work uh, for the mid-market or companies uh, below this up-market tier that we're kind of circling? Uh, yeah. Is that the body of work that that gets you there? You, you raise some some really interesting thinking, which I've probably been challenging for 20 years, Kevin, uh, in various roles. Um, I think the there's one element that always I think of when I think about market segmentation. Um, I think within each market, there are three markets. Uh, so, and I could almost, I can profile, and I profiled this recently with the HubSpot mid-market team here in Australia. I was asked to present on this, which was nice, a nice a nice thing to do. Um, first, answer your first question, is this transferable to the mid-market? Absolutely. Um, and, and I do believe that the mid-market is actually the more complex of all engagement models uh, over SME and, and, and enterprise. The reason why is because the, the transition from kind of what I call a, a lower mid-market customer to a mid-mid-market a mid through to an upper mid-market, the variabilities of needs will change so greatly compared to a kind of early stage enterprise to a later stage enterprise. And, and, and in more, t- more times than ever, they require that level of intellect, IP, KYC, KYI, and guidance at, that you can give them uh, around transform, transformation, data, re- data, data value chain, and culture and change. Because um, like just some small examples that I would usually give, if you're moving from what I call a classic mid-mid-market to an upper mid-market, you're usually encountering three key things. Number one, your your customer buying, your customer products you're selling in the customer acquisition cycle you're in is probably getting hellishly more complex. Um, And that then is driving probably lots of inefficiencies in the way that you transact with your customers between how you take them on a sales journey, how you take them through um, a buying journey, how you take them through a buying settlement process, and how, therefore, you then maintain that in your RevOps model and your back office models, and then how do you maintain that in terms of service and support? That's the first. The second is you're probably moving into multi-regional and multi-business unit, which is now segmenting the way your business operates. So data, that data value chain is going to get broken. Mm-hmm. And the customer experience and the employee con- continuity is probably going to get broken. So all these, are, and then the final big challenge with all of this is, is 
is as you're going through that scale model as a mid-market company, defining where you put your spend, right? Because, because you've got competing interests on spend. Again, this is understanding the, the know your customer and the roles. Um, and how do you help them define that, you know, actually spending a couple hundred grand on HubSpot is actually the right thing to do versus maybe hiring four people in marketing. So I, you know, and again, the maturity levels in the buyer's experience are lower. Uh, so, you know, it takes a little bit longer to get them on that buying journey. To summarize, it's, uh, hey, Kev, it's not a one-to-one match. There's uh, a healthy degree of variables and considerations uh, yeah. uh, as you move up, uh, especially when it's early stage or late stage. Again, the maturity layer of that business too. And, and you know, just drawing on this from an, an experiential perspective, um, I was asked back in, in 2007 to, to set up SAP's first mid-market business here in Australia and, and channel business. And we sold no differently to the guys selling $100 million global deals. It was the exact same sales motion. The only thing that changed was the, uh, the, the, the dollar amount on the contract. Um, and in many ways, the mid-market, as I said, was more complex. It's uh, interesting. So, yeah. Um, Ron, mm. let me ask you this. Uh, again, as we, as we refer back to know your customer, know your industry, know your domain, I think we talked a little bit about like the depth of knowledge for both customer and industry from a domain perspective, how, how tight should that uh, domain be? You know what I mean? What's the degree or the, the, the volume of services that you can offer, uh, but still categorize up to the appropriate degree of know your domain, right? I know a lot of partners, I don't know, as an example, RevOps as a service. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, is that knowing your domain enough, knowing that, you know, RevOps in and of itself can be quite expansive. Right. So I guess how how niche, how tight does that service offering have to be to appropriately know your domain? <clears throat> um, I'll probably start with an example of that, Kevin, that I think is very, very real in the HubSpot world in the corporate or enterprise space. So configure price quote CPQ, which is kind of important part of enterprises because most of them have quite complex dynamic pricing. Um, They might have quite complex bundling around dynamic pricing. And then we have multiple layers of that by brand, by, by region, by currency. And then you've got all the complexities of workflows and approvals and multiple contract versions and governance and compliance and risk that sits in that. And also the aspect of, of auditability, which is very important in CPQ. You know, if I took that domain as an area where us as a business, for example, have absolutely gone full court press on because we see that as a key area of of growth for HubSpot and a key area for competitive, um, I guess, winning the war against some of the more traditional providers in that space. That that area there, for example, is you, you can't enter into a CPQ conversation without really understanding it. And, and your buyer in that area there really knows it as well. well so you can enter the conversation, but it's not going to go very far, right? No. no. So that's a good example. And then the, the other area, in, if I'm encouraging people to think about a couple of domain areas to kind of build their competencies, one would be in that area. So I understand, you know, what is the permeations within an industry in CPQ for that industry? And how can you fix that? And, and what are the impacts? The second one for me that I think, and as HubSpot's product matures in this space, 
Customer service support and omni-channel customer service support is a very, very unique area for domain. It's not just having a ticket, settling a ticket. Um, when you start dealing with customer services managers and you start dealing with uh, support managers and call center managers, CX managers who sit within that world and that domain, they, they talk a very different language and their KPIs and metrics and, and, and how they look at all of that in terms of the permeations of success and failure in service and support is another area I think working on growing your domain knowledge will give you a greater seat at the table and give you that, that bigger right to transform the way the company thinks about the overall consumer journey. I like that element of uh, domain knowledge, but it's understanding the permeations of success and failure, right? Yeah. I think that yeah. that's a helpful frame of reference. Mm. Uh, Ron, let me ask you this. Um, for for partners that are looking, either they're in the midst of or have it circled as a goal of theirs, right, to, to, to move up market, to target these corporate and enterprise type businesses, uh, what, what about that move up uh, would shock them or surprise them the most uh, if they aren't necessarily prepared, right? And I think, you know, the easy ones here, hey, purchasing cycles are longer, right? Uh, Decision making committees are bigger. Right. Uh, but what else, what else should they be prepared for? That's a little different. Um, I think what you get out of a potential SME or mid-market engagement is, is you can actually get quite a bit of transparency around the interest in acquiring and buying pretty quickly. I think sometimes going into the enterprise, you can find people who can spin your wheels for a very long time with very limited intent. And, and that doesn't mean there's malice in it or, or being misleading. I think big organisations just have a lot of people who are sometimes constantly thinking about how to improve the organisation but simply don't have the power to make that decision. Um, I think that's the first thing is, is being very wary of spinning your wheels with people who might want to give you time and give you energy as to whether or not that's going to translate into the value that you bring, which is actually executing that transformation. Um, I think the other thing you'd be surprised is, is how many enterprise organisations will dip their toe in the water with a small engagement first. But, and, and, and that might take a, a larger sense of, in, of uh, investment to get a smaller return up front. But the flow on effect, once you've earned the right to be in there, is quite significant in terms of being that transformation partner. I think the third. So, one of those smaller engagements, it sounds like there might be a third one there, but smaller engagements, it would be, you know, a, a team or a department looking to bring you on. You show that value for them, and now you have a foot in the door for a much yeah. larger, you know, partnership with that business. Absolutely. That- or, or it could be a regional business unit within a broader global company. Um, and big word of warning on that one when you get engaged locally with a, with a, um, a US based business unit of a European head office or something like that, be very wary of their their their, their ability to make a, a decision without global influence. And, and, and often that global influence comes in right at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen it way too many times where a very, very long, heavy invested sales cycle to transform a local arm of a global business gets shut down at the 11th hour by global. Based and on- that's unique for 
maybe like uh, European-based companies, uh, but your entry point is a U.S. location or is it more? I know that was the example, but is it more? It's it's more than likely, particularly if I think about the region down here, Southeast Asia, Australia and and New Zealand, that um, we would see an, uh, an arm of an American or a European business down here that may not have been on the, on the global corporate systems yet, i.e. Salesforce or something like that, who decide that based on the size of their balance sheet, they actually want to go and make an independent decision on a, on a lower cost product or, or a localised product. And often by the time it goes through the global approval process, the, the parent will turn around and, and, and shut it down because there's a, a mandate to go whatever, Salesforce, SAP, what, Dynamics. But okay. that's a helpful that consideration. Yeah, it's important to keep in mind. You know? Yeah, because you can spill, you can sp- I mean, there's outliers where you where you can you can do it. And we've done a few for global companies where the mandate was, say, Salesforce, and we've, we've helped shape the business case to not go. And so they've been able to go localize HubSpot. Uh, but, you know, it is high risk and you've got to have access to the right people. And both these instances, we were engaged with the CEO, directly with the CEO. So feels like the right person to be engaged with. Narod, I, uh, I interrupted. You did have a third piece, right? So I think the initial question was what about the process uh, may uh, shock or not be anticipated for partners making this transition upwards? Yeah. Uh, you had a third consideration, but I absolutely cut you off. And, and I think the third consideration is that often you will put a lot more effort up front and the back end of the engagement will speed up. And, and that feels kind of counterintuitive, particularly perhaps when you're you are collaborating with HubSpot, which might see the pipeline velocity up front moving quite slow and want to see more speed. But historically, I think when you're dealing with the enterprise, 60 or 70% of your effort is going to be in the kind of solutioning area. And once that's validated and you've built that trust and you've built that right to do the transformation, the contract period and negotiation periods will accelerate really fast because it's it, it should at that stage just be a tick in the box. And rarely do I see high levels of, of negotiation on buy price at that stage if you've invested your time up front. That would be my third one, which can feel, you can feel stuck at times in that solutioning cycle because you're putting a lot of time in. But but trust me, it, it, if you get through that, you, you will see acceleration at the back end. Yeah, which makes it really ramps up there. Uh, super helpful to know. Now, I know, uh, Rod, we, I, it feels like we've we've kind of looped around a few examples um, even before I ask this question. But let's just say, you know, I, uh, I'm a partner. Uh, I feel like I have the appropriate uh, level of, of knowledge, customer, industry, dimension. Maybe I've gathered the appropriate assets that'll be, you know, citable of my body of work. I have the intellect and I'm ready to demonstrate it. Uh, what are, what are the entry points, right? I want to have the conversation. I think I know the businesses I want to have the conversation with. Any recommendations on on getting a foot in the door there? And and this may vary by region. Um, I could probably only really speak specifically down here, but I, I'm sure there'd be deep commonality uh, in the US and other similar markets. Um, an interesting aspect of this is that, um, and having sat on both sides of the table um, in terms of partner and obviously on a software side and a services side, um, I think the interesting thing is is that work really closely with your partners, number one, because despite the fact that I believe we've got a lot of value to add as a brand and other partners might, the entrance point usually for an enterprise uh, prospect is going to be at the vendor level. It, it is rarely going to come to the partner unless you have relationships. And so I think I would say your entrance point is, is, is be very, very clear on your business place. 
you know, be with your with you know, we've been very well defined with HubSpot in region down here about you know our, our where we play, what we do well, our industries and our domain, um, and and ninety percent of our engagements in the corporate or enterprise space are, are through collaboration with with HubSpot. Um, the other entrance point I'd say is, well, in our world, HubSpot is our nucleus, and that is our absolute number one vertical focus. Build capability around the outside of that. So what I mean by that, if I go back to process transformation, data value chain, change, change management, mm-hmm. what other elements do you need in that to support it? So if I take data value management or data value chain, um, you know, we partner with a middleware partner. We were the first uh, Wakado partner, for example, in Australia, which gives us gives us the right to kind of not only understand that data value chain, but then execute that in a low-code, no-code, complementary product to HubSpot. Similarly, with other products you might want to surround yourself with, with voice products like Aircall or whatever else you're looking at, but but build that competency around the nucleus because it, it actually grows your value and gives you the, earns you the right to have a, a greater value conversation than just HubSpot. Um, and look at that at domain level as well. Um, you know, we have some very, very strong complementary products to HubSpot in certain domains where where we might have to do some really advanced work that may not be capable at the moment in HubSpot. Uh, so that, that would be it. And then the third one is, at the end of the day, people are buying your IP and your capability and your ability to deliver a product on time, on budget. So build really, really good internal processes and methodologies around projects. Um, experiment with Agile and Waterfall. Um, we're a Waterfall organization. I think you already had my follow-up question ready to go. Yep. Yeah. Most, um, most enterprise customers will demand Waterfall because it gives more certainty and more sequ- sequential journey around risk. Uh, and, and Agile is predominantly a, a product development environment, not a transformation program for systems, systems redeployment or consolidation. Um, and then the next one is your people, just like instill a, instill a higher level of quality uh, growth into your consulting business and, and build your skill sets around, around your domain and your industries. Um, you know, we are nothing without the skills of our people. That It is that simple. You know, a follow-up question, I think it touches on the skills of people, uh, but also developing the appropriate complementary kind of offerings around the nucleus, right? Uh, uh Obviously, HubSpot partner program, the HubSpot platform is like the frame of reference here for this question. But what sort of skills should I be seeking out uh, and developing amongst my team, right? To be able to deliver these types of engagements, to have that uh, depth of domain expertise. Uh, Do I need full-time developers, web developers, CRM developers? Do I need architects? uh, You know what I mean? So what what sort of technical aptitude? I think once you define your domain and where you play, that will probably unlock a bit of that. Uh, for example, in our organization, you know, we don't consider ourselves a web developer. Uh, so, you know, we, if, if, if part of a complementary piece of work we do, and we are, we are unashamedly a connected hub, connected suite organization. Um, we, we rarely do a single hub. Uh, most of, because of the nature of how we work, we, the technology outcome at the end is usually a holistic hub and complementary solutions. Um, I, I think that would drive where you build your skills. Uh, but I think the the big value if organisations were looking at the um, investment in skills for the enterprise is find really good BAs, you know, business analysts. Um, 
they are worth their weight in gold in terms of their ability to to um, run run transfer, transformative thinking and design thinking in the in the in the project engagements. Uh, and often those people can translate into your pre-sales conversations as well mm. because they mm-hmm. can bring that kind of BA knowledge. I also think today because of the the nature of a connected API world that we sit in, the, the emergence of Ops Hub, for example, as well, and other low-code, no-code platforms, uh, that we having data analysts and, and data integration specialists is, is a must. Um, we, I, haven't, I don't think we've done a project in the last... 30 months that hasn't involved many, 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 many integrations into it. Because you define that value chain and you're shifting data around between uh, core systems of, of record, core systems of engagement that sit outside HubSpot. The value of shifting that data either one way, uni, unilaterally, multi-directional, uh, is going to be one of the key areas that a customer is going to see value in, in the transformation. So. Absolutely invest in, in data integration people at the BA level and the delivery level as well. Yep. I love that. Um, love the plus one for data integrations, business analysis. Yep. Go ahead. Yeah, I think, I think the last one is is an emerging trend that I think we're seeing. So you talked about RevOps as a service and things like that. I think as, as, as HubSpot becomes more pervasive uh, inside the enterprise, and, and I've seen this trend through the Salesforce years and even when I was running Zendesk here in Australia and New Zealand, you know, from an SME tool through to an enterprise tool, the admin and management rights of that product and the management capability to have that always on model uh, are creating demands today. So what what does that look like in terms of your post delivery uh, uh, offerings to your customers around administration service or managed services? I think it goes back to the change management piece. Yep, the training and enablement, ensuring the frontline user user adoption. It's yeah, that's such a critical component. Yep, and 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 no no, you know, I think the maybe the last piece I'd say it's an oldest one of the pieces of advice I was given very early on in my career around project transformation or project transformation is no project fails at the end; they all fail at the beginning. Uh, so. You know, take the time in your your project methodologies to really ramp the upfront design piece in your methodologies, uh, and in the analysis piece because that is where you set yourself and the client up for a great success with HubSpot and whatever else you're you're implementing. But again, it creates the great relationship going forward. Yep, love that. The credo, <laughs> love that. Uh, now, Rod, as we push on time, I do want to try and squeeze this question in. Uh, now, again, I think oftentimes uh, when partners are working with businesses in the mid-market, let's say, uh, all right, how do we prove out quantifiable success? And sure, it's the ROI, it's attribution of revenue generation based on you know the, the parameters of this engagement. Uh, uh, is that the same as we go up market to these corporate businesses? What does success look like uh, from a quantifiable <coughs> measurement perspective? Yeah, um, I, I'm, I, think, I think as a... As a collaborative sales organization with our partners like HubSpot, often defining that ROI, that TCO, upfront to be very specific to measures that could be put in front of a board for approval is 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 a is often requires an enormous amount of investment in time. I think bite off the small chunks that you believe that are gonna, you know. Don't try to get a really, really detailed picture of TCO and ROI. Try and actually just 
go to the areas where you know those wins are going to be quite easy to to quantify. Um, I, I think that's the first piece of guidance I'd give. I, I, I and also we we just don't know the we don't have the time to know the businesses as well as the business knows themselves. So often those those internal business case models might be developed without you. It's always nice if you can develop them with them. Um, I think the the last piece is the the post. I, you know we go back uh, we go back and do kind of what we call a um, a hyper review. And we call it a hyper review because we want to go deep in three areas inside the business. And one is measurable impact on the on the organisation, whether or not it's efficiency, productivity, or balance sheet related. Um, and and from that, what we try to define is, you know, did we actually? It's, it, it it may not have actually done what it needed to do. And actually, that if you've earned the right to be there, you have to earn the right to actually have that next conversation about well, what did we miss, what didn't we get, you know. And so I think ROI and TCO up front. Get the things that you can see and you can kind of make tangible. If you can get a seat at the table at the more de detailed one, that's even better. But the post one is really important because often that's when the client will tell you what they took to the board or took to the SLT mm -hmm. for approval. And uh, if it did meet it, they'll tell you. If it didn't, it gives you the right to have a deeper conversation about how can we get there or what else can we improve. Yeah, what's next? Yeah. yeah. Um, well, Rod, as we as we wrap here, uh, one final question. Uh, we wrap every episode with it. Um, now I'll, I'll ask it, but then I'll put the spin on it based on, I think a, a quick note you had at the top. So it's what's the strangest part of agency life. But again, I know today we wanted to use services providers. So what's the strangest part of services provider life in your mind? Oh, I, I think for me, having sat on both sides and, and led a number of software companies through growth and scale, the weirdest thing for me is trying not to be the person in HubSpot, if you know what I mean. Like that's the weirdest thing for me to try to not put a hat on as a kind of, you know, an RVP or a head of sales or a head of go-to-market and try to kind of go. But um, I do think that that also, as much as it's weird, gives me, gives us a little bit of an advantage of how we work with HubSpot because I think it's, don't know if it is, but it feels kind of unique, at least in this region down here, to have someone leading a, um, a partner like, uh, in the HubSpot ecosystem, who's actually also sat intimately running companies like HubSpot. Yeah, so you know, it is a bit uh, weird. Just because it's just because it's strange doesn't mean it can't also be advantageous in some ways, mm -hmm. right? So, yeah, 100%. Yeah, and I think going back to the opening comment around not cobbled, but very specifically created to be what we are in the HubSpot ecosystem is based on that background and knowledge of knowing what I would have loved to have had as a partner in my ecosystem as we were going up market and I didn't have it. Uh, so to be able to go and build one specifically to support and knowing the journey that HubSpot's on, that's 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 kind of both a little strange that it's, uh, but but in the same way, it's extremely rewarding to see that's paying dividends for for us and HubSpot. Well, Rod, I uh, appreciate you coming on the podcast. Uh, your perspective here has been immensely valuable for me. Definitely, I can imagine for anybody that's tuned in as well. Um, so thanks for joining us, uh, and thanks for the chat, my friend. It's uh, it's been a pleasure having you on. Absolutely awesome to be here, Kevin. Uh, and for folks that have tuned in today, this has been another episode of Agency Unfiltered.